Today, she's a retired Ontario police officer with 34 years of distinguished service. But in 1974, she was a scared, pregnant teenager. And she says Ravi Zacharias pressured her to get an abortion. Welcome to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. And today, we're going to be discussing a tragic story that happened nearly 50 years ago. It involves a woman named Shirley Stewart, who was dating Ramesh Zacharias, Ravi Zacharias's brother. The two were sexually active, and as often happens in these situations, Shirley got pregnant. And what happened next is absolutely heartbreaking. According to Shirley, she and Ramesh went to Ravi Zacharias for advice. Ravi was an up-and-coming preacher at the time, and Ramesh was his younger brother. Shirley attended the church where Ravi would often come and speak, and both she and Ramesh looked up to Ravi. But Shirley says the advice Ravi gave was not only shocking, it led to the death of her unborn child, and it's affected the entirety of Shirley Stewart's life. I read Shirley's account about a year ago. It was published at a blog called The Spiritual Sounding Board, and it ravaged me, just totally broke my heart. But I know many people will say, why hear this story now? What good can it do? Ravi's gone. I understand these objections. I do. But I also feel a great deal of compassion for all the women who have been victimized by Ravi Zacharias. Also, if Ravi's predatory behavior was just an anomaly, maybe we could just move on. But friends, it's not. We have scores of Christian leaders preying on the vulnerable, and it's not okay. And it's not going to stop until the Christian community listens to the victims and begins to develop compassion for the victims and begins to understand the behavior of these wolves in sheep's clothing. Another reason I wanted to record a podcast with Shirley is because I want you to hear from her directly. I often say there's a credibility in victims' voices. You can tell if they're lying or telling the truth. So I'm going to give you the opportunity to judge for yourself. I think this is a very important podcast, and I'm so glad that you've taken the time to join me and to listen to Shirley Stewart's story. But before I speak with Shirley, I want to thank the sponsors of this podcast, Judson University and Marquardt of Barrington. Judson is a top-ranked Christian university providing a caring community where students can thrive and grow. The school offers more than 60 majors, great leadership opportunities, and strong financial aid. Judson is located on a beautiful 90-acre campus just 36 miles northwest of Chicago. Judson University is shaping lives that shape the world. For more information, just go to judsonu.edu. Also, if you're in the market for a car, I encourage you to check out my friends at Marquardt of Barrington. Marquardt is a Buick GMC dealership where you can expect honesty, integrity, and transparency. The owners there, Dan and Kurt Marquardt, are friends of mine, and I'm confident they'll do right by you. For more information, just go to buyacar123.com. Well, again, joining me today is Shirley Stewart, a retired Ontario provincial police officer, but also someone who tragically got an abortion nearly 50 years ago. And according to Shirley, Ravi Zacharias is the one who counseled her to have that abortion. So, Shirley, thank you so much. And thank you for being willing to talk about what I'm sure is a really, really painful time of your life. So thank you. You're very welcome, and thank you for having me. Shirley, let's start at the beginning of this story. As I understand, it takes place in 1974. You were a high school student, and Ramesh, Ravi Zacharias's brother, was your boyfriend. Uh, would you describe the nature, not just of your relationship with Ramesh, obviously he was your boyfriend and you, you two were intimate, but with his family, the Zacharias's? 
Well, actually, the the actual abortion took place in 1974 in January. Uh, so the mm-hmm. advice preceded that in the year prior, 1973. Um, Ramesh and I had been dating. Uh, well, we were thought of as a couple when I was 15 and had started going to the church that he and Ravi attended. And we sexually became active after I turned 16. Ramesh is uh, four years older than I am. And he mm-hmm. was um, in university at the time of this relationship. And well, one quick question. You say you began going to church with him. Were you from a church-going family, or was that kind of something he introduced you to? No, um, actually, my I was raised um, in a very religious home. Um, my parents had gone to different churches. Um, at the time when I I left their church, there was no youth group, and really nothing for me in um, that particular church. It was in the east end of Toronto, uh, known as uh, the Gildwood area or Scarborough. Hmm. And my brother, who was five years older than me, had started going to uh, the First Alliance Church on Young Street, which is the the church in in question. And he told me about, you know, that they had a very engaged youth group and uh, quite a large group. And with his help and encouragement, uh, my parents allowed me to go with him to that church because it was quite a distance away. Hmm. And so you got to know, I would guess, the entire Zacharias family, correct? Yes. His his parents didn't attend that church, or if they did, it wasn't very often, but I was invited to their home where I did meet his parents. Did you know Ravi as well? I did, just peripherally. He would attend the church to, um, he would address the church in sermons. Hmm. He had headed the youth group just prior to my attending there. So I, I didn't know him well. I went to family functions, uh, like when one of his sisters got married, I attended the wedding. So I saw him and Margie on occasion. Okay. And what was your impression of the family? Uh, I was very honored to be part of the family. They they were very warm and welcoming at the time. His, his parents were lovely people. Mm. But as I say, I didn't see them very often. Mm-hmm. So here you are, a 17-year-old girl. I can just imagine um, what it must have been like to find out that you're pregnant. Describe how you felt at the time and how you were processing or trying to process that that you were maybe going to be a single mom. Well, yeah, it wasn't anything that we talked about. Um, it just, it was not something that you did. Like it was a very shame based, <laughs> you know, you didn't even talk about mm. having any sexual activity. And, um, I didn't see Ramesh very often cause he lived at the far West end of Toronto. So it was just, you know, the, uh, maybe twice a week I would see him at, um, at the youth group meetings and then at church on Sundays. And, so it wasn't the first scare. It had happened before. And because we always prayed for forgiveness and prayed for guidance, and it wasn't something that, you know, you prepared for in advance. So when I did get pregnant, I went for the test. Of course, the testing wasn't as good in those days. It took 
you know, you had to be far enough along and Mm. it took a few days for the results to come back. And, um, I I couldn't go to my doctor because then my parents would find out. And anyways, um, when I did find out and I, I phoned Ramation, told him, then he invited me to, he said, he suggested that we speak to Ravi for guidance as his brother and as a minister. So the two of you, you ended up going to, was it, was it um, Ramesh's parents' apartment at the time where you made this phone call and nobody was home but the, the two of you? That's correct. So he calls Robbie, and as I understand, you're, you're on the other phone line, so you're listening to this. You're not just like, you know, getting this secondhand. You actually heard this conversation firsthand. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. I was on an extension phone in the master bedroom. Okay. So what did Robbie say when he found this out? Well, he was very annoyed with Ramesh. I I gathered from the conversation that they had had previous discussions, maybe because there had been a prior scare. And I just remember utterances like, this is going to kill our parents. And this is, this will you will lose your career as a, as a doctor because that's what he was going to university to become. Of course, he suggested a lot of prayer and, but he said it just, he felt that the best thing would be if it was terminated. Hmm. And when you heard that, what was your response? I was almost numb. Um, hmm. Like, cause I, I couldn't with disbelief, I, I couldn't believe that, somebody in his position would be suggesting an abortion. Like there was no talk of anything, no other options, like not about, you know, giving the child up for adoption or that was just that one option that he was suggesting because of the ramifications to Ramesh and his family if the pregnancy went to term. Before this time, had you thought of getting an abortion? No, hadn't even hadn't even entered my mind. Hmm. I was just barely into my seventeenth year, and I I was painfully shy and painfully naive in those days. I really hadn't thought of the ramifications of getting pregnant. I just maybe my frontal lobe hadn't developed yet of consequences. I I just hadn't given it any thought past that. How far along were you at this point? I I think I was probably pregnant in maybe late October, early November. So when the discussion took place, it was just maybe a month. So following this discussion with Ravi, my understanding that you and Ramesh went to talk with your parents about it. And at this point, had you told your parents they didn't even know you were pregnant? No, I, I didn't have, I didn't have the guts to tell them. Hmm. So the first they heard of it was when you and Ramesh said, Hey, we want to sit down and talk with you. Yes. Can you describe that conversation? Oh, I remember it so well. We were sitting in my parents' dining room and they looked very confused as to why we would want to speak to them. Um, so Ramesh did all the talking. I was, I was crying mm-hmm. and, uh, he, he told them that I was pregnant and 
that they had done a lot of soul searching and he had that we had talked to Ravi and because they he knew that my parents thought a lot of Ravi. They knew of him. I think they'd seen him once at the church. Um, of course, I had heard a lot of him from my brother who had known him for a lot longer than I had. And so Ramesh kind of played that up that, you know, like if, if a minister, a man of God suggests this, that must be the best option. Hmm. I do want to say that I did reach out to Ramesh through email and also called him and gave him an opportunity to tell his side of the story. You know, I always do that. want to give the, uh, anybody who's a, a part of a story an opportunity to speak into it. He did not respond. So I just want people to know that I have given him that opportunity. So at this point, as I understand it, your abortion was somewhat arranged by the Zacharias family. Can you discuss that, how that went about? Well, it wasn't the Zacharias family at the time, other than Ramesh. He needed my parents' permission because I was under 18 years of age. Hmm. So another parishioner from the church, Vicki, she um, was a nurse and was the best friend of Margie Zacharias. And they worked together at Wellesley Hospital. And according to Ramesh, Vicki had made all the arrangements. I found out afterwards from Ramesh that he was also dating Vicki at the same time that he was dating me. Hmm. Anyways, she made the arrangements and my parents took me to the hospital. Uh, I had to stay in overnight, which I thought was, well, you know, in hindsight now I think was strange. But um, it was, Wellesley was a teaching hospital and associated with the University of Toronto. Hmm. I, I remember... I was so frightened and of course they had to leave me there overnight and outside my room was two of the staff, two female staff members and one of them commented, Hmm. sorry, that's okay. she said, oh, this poor girl, she's so frightened and the other one said, well, maybe next time she won't be so quick to get pregnant. I'm sorry. I've talked to a number of women who have had abortions, and this is the aspect that so few people talk about. They talk about an abortion like it's a procedure, like getting an appendectomy, and it's not. It's it's devastating. And when you when you deliver a baby, you have a lot of people around you supporting you. When you get an abortion, you're often alone, and you deal with it yourself. And emotionally, it can just be unbelievably traumatic. I'm guessing you felt some of that in the even immediately in the days and weeks after that and in long term as well. Can you describe what that was like? Yeah, the loneliness and and despair hmm. because this went so against my upbringing and beliefs that and it was so wrong and i i really wasn't made part of the decision making nobody asked me what i wanted mm. it was the adults cuz i really was a child mm. um that made those decisions and you put your faith in adults and in the case of ravi that in in a minister of god 
that they were making the right decision for you. Mm. It wasn't until much later, of course, that I realized that it was in, it was a very selfish decision on their part. Mm. And in so many cases, when I speak to post-abortive women, and it's, it's amazing how many cases the woman feels disenfranchised, feels like she was pressured to do what she did. And it's something that's just hardly ever talked about. This isn't empowering to women. Half the time, it's completely disempowering. In fact, I would say all the time, because we're being convinced to do something that w- women aren't meant to do. And it's, it's just absolutely tragic. And to find out afterwards that the person that arranged it and the person that was the father of that child were conspiring mm-hmm. and and just dismissed me and, and threw me out like yesterday's trash. Mm. I couldn't have felt any worse about myself. Mm. Did your relationship, did it continue with Ramesh at all after the abortion or did it pretty much end then? No, it pretty much ended then. Okay. And you mentioned that Vicky was best friends with Margie. Do you have any reason to believe Margie knew about what was what happened? I don't have any proof that she knew. Um, she was married to to Ravi at the time, and she worked with Vicky. So I, I, I would find it hard to believe that she didn't know, but I have no proof. Mm-hmm. You mentioned to me that after your abortion, at one point you returned to the church where Ramesh went, and it was, I think, like a midweek service or maybe a choir practice or something going on, and you did encounter him then, and describe that and the impact it had on you and your belief about the church and about Christians. Well, yeah, I had uh, gone, I'd arrived early at church. As I say, I had quite a ways to go. So I had to take mm-hmm. the subway and, um, yeah, it took quite a, quite a long time. And so I arrived early and I was um, in the basement of the church and Ramesh came in. And um, there was never any apology. Oh, my goodness. I just think back and I think how cold he was about it all. And he motioned that there was a couch there in the basement of the church and he wanted to make out with me. And I was just so flabbergasted and, and angry. And, and I, I just said, if this is what Christianity, what Christians are like, if, this, if you are an example of what Christians are like, I want nothing more to do with, with a church. And I walked out. And I, I still believe in God. I, I didn't stop believing in God, but I stopped believing in the church and Christians. Hmm. It just makes me sad. Um, obviously, you moved on with your life. Um, you became a police officer. You got married. Did you ever? Did you have kids? No, I didn't. Um, it was a few months later, and. Um, I had some, um, I ended up having, um, had to have uh, emergency surgery because um, there was a cyst had formed on one of my ovaries and I had to have it removed. And I remember my father asking the doctor if an abortion could have 
created that issue. And he said, very well could have. I don't know. But um, I, I ended up, because I had no self-esteem left, I, I felt blessed as a person. I didn't feel I deserved anything good in life because of what I had been party to. Uh, I ended up in a very an abusive relationship, um, my first marriage. I couldn't even turn to my parents for support because their attitude was, you make your bed, you lie in it. Hmm. Yeah, it was um, four years before I was finally able to find some support. And uh, it was actually a nurse where I worked <laughs> at the time. And... Um, so I finally got out of that relationship, out of that marriage. And um, then that's when I became a police officer. And I thought, you know what, I want to be there for, for victims. Hmm. And it sounds like you had uh, a very fulfilling career and were able to help women and be there for victims. And I'm sure it may be little consolation in some ways, but in some ways, a great consolation that you were able to use that pain and what you've gone through to help other victims. Am I right? It was actually from that point of view, really gave my career a boost because when I would attend a domestic situation, um, actually my fellow uh, male officers would, would often ask me to come along with them Mm. to a domestic situation because I had, because of my history and um, because, and of course when it came to children too, because they always felt that a female might be able to associate better with a female victim and with the children. Mm-hmm. So, and I remember attending a, um, a victims of crime a symposium. And I remember one lady in particular telling me that there's healing in the telling Hmm. And I'll never forget that to this day. And I thought, you know what? When all this came to be, I felt that the Lord was telling me it was time to tell my story. Hmm. I've heard that can be incredible. So many women who have had abortions just suffer in silence. They never tell their story and they never receive the forgiveness, the love, the support that's available to them. What was that like when you told your story for the first time? It was actually very liberating mm-hmm. uh, because I think victims in, in general like to feel that they're being heard mm-hmm. and that they're being believed. I was very grateful for that opportunity. Hmm. So I don't know if this came before or after that event. It, it was in 1998, is my understanding. So it would have been 24 years after the abortion you saw Ravi and Margie Zacharias featured on a Christian magazine. And when you saw that, it triggered some pretty strong emotions. Would you tell me about that? And what was this after you had, what you just described, or was it before? Uh, it was in 1998. Yeah, I had, uh, you know, talking about the victim symposium. Yes. Yeah, um, that would have been in about the late 80s that that happened. Okay. So in 1998, um, I was at my parent. My parents had moved down. I had moved to uh, Napanee, which is a small town in eastern Ontario, kind of halfway between Belleville and Kingston. Anyways, my parents had moved down here, and 
they were, I had happened to be over at their house and on their coffee table, I noticed a, a magazine called Christian Reader. And it's kind of, it looks the same size as a Reader's Digest kind of magazine. And uh, featured on the front cover was a picture of Ravi and Margie Zacharias. Uh-huh. And the title was Ravi and Margie Welcome the World. And I just, it was a, almost like a panic attack um, hit me when I, when I saw that. And um, hmm. so I asked my mom and she said, yeah, sure, take it with you. So I, I took it home and I read the article and I was, uh, it was just, oh my goodness, it just went on and on. It just did not gel with with what the experience was that I had. Um, and they were talking about their open door policy and how they were so warm to everyone. And like the, the last paragraph, with the help of the Holy Spirit, the Zacharias are offering such a, a haven in hopes of introducing others to the greatest friend of all. I didn't feel like they were offering me any kind of a haven. If anything, they, they threw me to the wolves. And well, I won't say Margie, but certainly Ravi did. And I, it just, I was just so incensed hmm. with how he was portraying himself as that I, I just felt I had to write him a letter. Hmm. And you did write him a letter. Would you like to share any of that letter that you wrote to him? I wish I had kept a copy of it. Oh, you don't have a copy. That's right. Okay. Because I didn't expect a reply at all either, you know, and I didn't know. I just wanted to get it off my chest when I, I thought of him and I, I did that. And I said, I don't know how you sleep at night knowing that the advice was to Ramesh and I was to terminate my pregnancy and kill an unborn child. Hmm. And surprisingly... Ravi did respond, and he wrote you a letter, which you've sent me the screenshots of the handwritten um, envelope that it came in, and also the contents of this letter. And I know that this is something that people do complain about. They say, well, these allegations are coming up now that Ravi's dead. Well, you actually, this was published, your story was published in 2019 before Ravi Zacharias died, and he did not choose to address publicly, he just ignored, is my understanding, what had been published. But this time he didn't ignore it. When you sent him this letter, it's dated January 18, 1999. And he writes, Dear Shirley, I received your letter last week. And since I'm about to embark on an extended set of meetings for nearly two months away from home, I felt I should reply before leaving so that I could at least acknowledge the receipt of your letter. Surely this is the first time in 26 years since the incident that anyone has even spoken to me about it. Some of the things you have mentioned are absolutely brand new to me. As you well know, we have had repeated contacts with your brother Mike, and never once has anything like this been mentioned. My understanding, you didn't tell Mike till much later. Is that correct? Much, much later, yeah. Yeah. In fact, he has always been very warm and helpful to Margie and me, and whenever, whenever we have needed help... The one time your parents met me, their clear displeasure was with Ramesh and never hinted that I had anything to do with this tragedy, which is interesting. He doesn't say that the tragedy didn't happen. So I take that as confirmation that he's admitting he knew the abortion happened. They, too, have always been very kind to me. So your letter surely came as a complete surprise. I never once to you or Ramesh suggested that 
what you are implying in your letter. More than half of a lifetime after the fact, it is hard to even remember the details, but I well remember the exact route I took. As you well know, surely they were the last days of my mother, who was going to die so prematurely, and I was carrying the brunt of that situation, having been so close to her. When Ramesh told me of the possibility of what you and he were facing, naturally I was shocked and disappointed, doubly so, surely, because you may not realize, but months before I had warned him. It goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's it's kind of long, but essentially he's saying he denies that he had any role in this. He ends it. I, I will read just the ends uh, of the letter. I pray from the depths of my heart, surely, for the healing and restoration in both Ramesh's and your heart. I have no doubt the anguish has been deep. The God of mercy and grace will graciously forgive the mistakes of youth. For the pain you felt, I am truly sorry. So many years have gone by for all of us since we first came to know Christ. Over the years and facing countless experiences, we have all faced many tragedies. I have learned one can either be hardened or softened and always prayed for the latter to the God of all grace. Thank you for the candor and the willingness to talk about it as painful as it was. I admire your sensitivity. Sincerely, Robbie. So when you get this letter, what's your response? How do you feel? Um, well, I just felt like that was the twisting of the knife that he would, he would lie about his, his involvement and his advice to us. So I'm curious, I don't know if you, if you remember exactly what you said to him, but I'm guessing you did recall the phone call that you had, the conversation that you had. Yes. And he says it never happened. And yet in his letter, he, he talks about giving Ramesh advice. Mm-hmm. So if it didn't happen, how how is he giving Ramesh advice, but he then denies that he did it in the same letter? Like, it just was, you know, like the old saying, thou protestest too much. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he does say in the letter, I didn't read this particular part, but he said he gave him the name, Ramesh, the name of two respected pastors in town to whom he could go and get counsel so that a godly decision would be made and you both cared for through it. So he's saying he counseled him to go to other pastors, but he didn't give any counsel himself. Uh, Yeah, I can imagine how that must have felt. So that was in 1999, you also sent him an email in 2014. What prompted that email to him? You know, I, I've always believed that if information is meant to come to you, that it will. And there was a couple of things that had happened in the uh, summer of 2014. And it just, you know, for years and years, you go on, you never hear the name, and then all of a sudden it comes up in conversation. And Lo and behold, don't I move, I end up being transferred. I started my career in Toronto, and then I ended up getting transferred down to the small town of Napanee. And lo and behold, this parents of the the woman that was to become Ramesh's first wife and the person who made the arrangements for the abortion, her parents live in Napanee. Like, the odds are astronomical. <laughs> And I was golfing with my neighbor one day, and she happened to mention that Vicky's parents went to her church. And she started going on about what what a lovely family it is. And, and I 
lost it. I don't know where it came from, but I lost it. And, um, and then my, my cousin who lived in Kingston at the time sent out a, a blast on Facebook that Ravi Zacharias was coming to speak at the K-Rock Center, which is like an arena. I think they hold about 6,700 seats and that she was in right because she went to a church in Kingston and they were asked to, you know, let people know about this and to encourage others to go to this. So I, I wrote to my cousin and I, I told her my experience. She went to her pastor who, uh, and explained why she couldn't encourage people to go and see Ravi. And um, her pastors said that I was a liar. Hmm. Hmm. And um, anyway, so I appreciated her support, but I, I felt that I should, um, again, address the letter. And so I, I sent a message or an email to well, I couldn't find a personal email address for him, so I sent it to um, info, rzim.ca. Would you read that email that you sent to RZIM? Uh, I addressed it personal and confidential, uh, but when I guess it goes to a main inbox, may not have stayed that way. Uh, Ravi, over the last three months, I have been reminded slash triggered poignantly about the abortion 41 years ago when I was 17 years old. When your brother, my boyfriend, Ramesh, then 21 years of age, arranged along with his other girlfriend, unknown to me, of course, and now his wife, Vicky, for the abortion to take place. There have been at least four reminders, triggers, since the beginning of July 2014. And when my cousin notified me last week that you'd be visiting my neck of the woods at the K-Rock Center, I prayed and asked for guidance about what all this meant. The message from God was clear. Get it off your chest and carry the burden no further. A confidant put it in perspective for me today, so I choose to be grateful. Grateful that Ray, which is what we called him, but Ramesh, didn't do the Christian and proper thing. For I would be part of your unconscionable family. My life would be ethically and morally in ruins. I understand now when I wrote to you about this in the latter part of 1998, why you would deny that involvement in writing. The profitable empire you have built, speaking to people as a man of God, could have been jeopardized if you told the truth about your self-serving, yet still profoundly inappropriate recommendation to Ray and I to terminate in the fear that if we didn't, the news would kill your already ailing mother. She was a dear, sweet soul, and I was very sad upon hearing of her passing not long after. Your denial, however, only served to rub salt in my wound. Unfortunately for me, this trauma can never be forgotten. It is like a videotape on loop. The betrayal by your brother, the shame and degradation that I had to endure as a naive child at the hands of your family, all adults at the time. It took a long time to regain some self-worth and not only accept God's forgiveness, but to also forgive myself. I now have a happy home entering into retirement after many years in an honorable profession. So with dignity and my head held high. And while I cannot bring myself to forgive you, Ramesh or Vicky, I thank you all. Hmm. I don't know if you expected a response to that, but I'm sure it was still disappointing when you didn't get one. 
I, I wasn't surprised because what could anybody say? He'd already written me a letter denying it. And, but I just, hmm. I had to say my piece. So I referenced this once before, but in 2019, you told your story publicly uh, at the Spiritual Sounding Board, Julianne's uh, blog, which is, I mean, it's been a wonderful outlet for a lot of abuse survivors to tell their story. A lot of people who have been spiritually abused or sexually abused, or in your case, you know, um, encouraged to do something tragic that has impacted the rest of your life. What motivated you at that point to say, I want to tell my story in a public forum? Um, just prior to that, actually, I had never heard of, of Steve Boffman or his investigation into Ravi Zacharias. Mm. And I had, through Facebook, I had reconnected with a gal that I had been part of the youth group with at the Young Street Alliance, the First Alliance. And she was also the daughter of the minister of the church at the time, um, Reverend Dietz. And we talked for hours on the phone. It was like we had, you know, we reconnected after 40 whatever years. And it was, I told her my story and we cried together. And and she said, actually, Ravi had lived with her family when he first got into the ministry. So she knew him very well. And she wondered what had happened because I all of a sudden disappeared and nobody had, you know, nobody seemed to tell her. Well, nobody did tell her because nobody knew what had happened and nobody was going to confess to what happened. Hmm. So she believed me. Um, she knew that he was very capable of that. And she, so she um, sent the link to RaviWatch.com. And that's how I connected with Steve Boffman. And I wrote to him and I said, his hypocrisy, that Ravi's hypocrisy goes back decades. And I told him my story and we talked on the phone. And and um, so he put me in touch with uh, Julianne and, and asked me to tell my story, which I did. Hmm. And for anybody listening now, probably almost everybody who's listening to my podcast because we've talked about it. I had Steve on my podcast, but just in case you don't know, Steve Moffman uh, wrote Cover Up in the Kingdom book in 2017, exposing so much of what now has come to light about Ravi and about the, uh, not just the abuse of Ann Thompson in a sexting relationship, but also now uh, allegedly women in the spas, which Miller and Martin, who has done an investigation for RZIM, has said these are credible allegations. Um, and even RZIM has admitted that uh, it appears that Ravi was a serial sexual abuser. Let me just ask you now, so much has happened. I mean, the, since September, I think, was when I published my first series of three stories um, telling Facts that had never been disclosed about the sex team relationship with Lori Ann Thompson, which Robbie tried to paint as uh, Lori Ann Thompson and her husband as the predators when the truth is actually the reverse of that, that he lured her into a sex team relationship with him. And then we have also now these women at these spas that he co-owned saying that he had abused them. All of this is coming to light for someone like you who for, you know, decades 
has seen a man on a pedestal adored by the entire Christian community and even called by Mike Pence, you know, VP at the time, the greatest apologist of the 20th century. To have the truth come to light, how does that feel for you? When I read the article, I think it came out, was it the 23rd of December, the initial report from RZO? Yes. I, I felt some relief, a little bit of vindication, but also some anger Hmm. because they knew. I don't know what it was, whether it was maybe that Margie's mother had just passed away a few months before that, you know, that now that she'll be spared that knowledge or they now, I, you know, I had so many questions, but I, I was also, I was also happy for those victims that they were heard and that they were believed, mm-hmm. which is something that I never got. Mm. So now, what would you like to hear from either the Zacharias family or even from the public? I mean, for someone like you that's lived with this your whole life, been told by a pastor, oh, you're lying, to have people not believe you, but believe, you know, obviously, Ravi at the time was a big credible credible figure what do you think would bring you the greatest healing for them to take responsibility i mean it's too late for robbie obviously he's passed away he is never going to admit any wrongdoing never did i just hope that they will allow Ann thompson release her from her nda so that she can get some healing from telling her story, take responsibility and apologize publicly, Mm -hmm. not just, you know, write me a little quick note saying, yeah, we're sorry, but to actually come out and accept the report and accept the responsibility of, of what has happened. You weren't part of the investigation though. Is that right? Did anybody contact you? No, I offered and I believe it was Steve Boffman contacted the investigators and gave them my, my information to contact me, but they never did. Hmm. That's got to hurt. It does because now it's, they're still not acknowledging what they put me through. Hmm. Well, surely, obviously there's, there's nothing. I, I feel like there's nothing I can do or say other than I'm so sorry. And your bravery in telling your story is commendable. And I will be praying for you and for your healing. And I know even after so many years, these things can be so raw because they just go so deep. But thank you. Thank you for being willing to tell your story and set the record straight and allow people to know the truth. And, you know, one thing I would love for you just before we go to speak to is speak to the rest of the Christian community who they're not a part of this story, but they may be a part of another story, or someday they may hear from a victim who says, I was abused by this person. What did you long to hear from Christians when you told your story? That they believed me and that they cared about me and that they would pray for me. Well, I do believe you. 
and I do care for you. And I know a lot of people listening care for you as well. And I know they're going to be praying for you. You know, I think of that there's a one verse where it says that the Lord will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. And I pray that for you, that God would restore those years that the locusts have eaten. Again, thank you. And it's been just really an honor to speak with you. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. And thanks so much for listening to The Roy's Report, a podcast dedicated to reporting the truth and restoring the church. I'm Julie Roy's. If you'd like to find me online, just go to julieroy's, spelled R-O-Y-S dot com. Also, we'd appreciate it if you'd subscribe to The Roy's Report on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. That way you'll never miss an episode. And while you're at it, we'd really appreciate it if you'd write a review, help us spread the word by getting it out on social media. We always appreciate those things. Again, thank you so much for joining me today. I hope you have a great day and God bless.